So this morning, like I said, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at this passage under three headings. So if you can put those three headings up. In this passage, Jesus gives us a parable, and it, essentially it's a journey from uh, at the gate is where you start, and then the destination is the end of the parable. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this journey similar to how you look at any journey. You start at the beginning, then the middle, and then the end. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to begin by looking at the two gates. Then after we look at the two gates, we're going to look at the two roads, and then we're going to conclude by looking at the two ends or two destinations. So the two gates, the two roads, and the two ends. So let's begin by looking at the two gates. In this passage, Jesus tells us that there are two different gates. In verse 13, he says that there is a narrow gate. And in the second half of verse 13, he says, for wide is the gate. So Jesus says that there are two types of gates. And what I want to do under this first point is I want to unpack a little bit what are the differences between these two types of gates. These two gates are different. Jesus says. And it's not just because one is wide and one is narrow. There are, there are other differences, and I want to explain to you what those differences are. If you could put those two up. The first difference is baggage, okay? And the second different difference is bystanders. So they're di these are the two categories in which these two gates are different. One, they're different in baggage, but they're also different when it comes to bystanders. The first difference is baggage. And here's what I mean by baggage, okay? The word there, if you go back to the passage, there's a word there, and it's used narrow. He uses it more than once. It's the word narrow. Now, the word narrow, when we think of the word narrow, in our culture, narrow is a very negative thing, right? If someone were to tell you in our culture that you are narrow-minded, that's one of the worst things that someone can say to you in the culture that we live in, right? But the definition of narrow in Scripture is different from the definition that we tend to think of when we think of narrow. The word narrow, it literally means to be squeezed. It means to be pressed in. It means to be compressed, okay? So put, to, to, to experience, to groan because you are experiencing pressure on all sides. That's what the word narrow means. And I know that sounds negative, but I will explain to you in a little bit that it actually is not negative as we go on. So Jesus says that the, the narrow, the, this first gate is a narrow gate. And that's one of the differences that, that this is, do you go back to the two points again? That one of the differences is that this gate is narrow. So one of the, the commentators I looked at this week that was really helpful when it came to this, he said that there are different, uh, there are two different types of illustrations that you can think of when you think of a narrow gate. Because we don't really use gates in our day, right? You maybe have a gate in your front yard, but we don't really think of gates. And so what he does, he brings it now in more into our modern uh, our modern day, he says that there are turnstiles. You know what a turnstile is, right? When you're at the train, right? You're at the subway or, or in Chicago. The thing about a turnstile is that what? Only one person can go at once, right? Have you ever tried to have two people go through a turnstile at once? It doesn't work, right? One person goes too early, the other person goes too, too late, and it's, it just gets, you both get stuck there, and it's really awkward, and you get much closer than what you anticipated, right? <laughs> So one of the examples that he uses of, of what type of gate Jesus is describing is like a turnstile. Another example that he uses is you're at the airport, right? Any of you who have flown lately, you know how, how, how hard it is to get through the gate at O'Hare, right? And, and, and everything's beeping. So you got to be essentially naked by the time you get through the other side of the thing. <laughs> well, sorry, you got to take your socks off yeah, and, and your boxers off too. And, uh, and, and before you know it, you're like, I'm naked in the middle of this airport right now, Right? Jesus is saying that the gate that he's describing, listen to this, is so narrow, it's such a narrow gate that in order for you to get into this gate, you have to let everything else go. 
All the baggage, all your baggage has to be left behind. All of it. Every last bit of it. You know how some, some airlines let you take on a free carry-on, some let you take on a couple carry-ons? No, there's no carry-ons on this flight. Jesus says that if you are going to walk through the narrow gate, there is no baggage on this gate. And here's, what, here's what he means by baggage. He means your sin. He means your self-righteousness, which we're going to look at self-righteousness more in a little bit. He means your sin. He means your self-righteousness. He means your idolatry. He means your worldliness. You know what he also means? He means your friends and your family. This is important, and I need you to follow along with me here, okay? Because if you're, if you're a child who was born into a Christian home, you might think that you're a Christian because your parents are Christians. Or, or you might be a Christian parent, and you might think your kids are Christians because you're a Christian. That's not how this works. This is a, a, a one-way gate. Only one person can get in. You can't bring families. It's not, you know, buy one, get one free ticket. Like, you, you, one person gets in at a time. And so if you're making the assumption that you know Jesus because your parents or your grandparents know Jesus, you don't know Jesus. Or if you're a parent and you think your children are okay because, hey, they were always around Christianity. No, no, no. If they haven't made that decision, if they haven't walked through that gate, if they haven't let go of the baggage, they do not know Jesus. Okay? This is really important. So friends and family are also one of the things you leave behind when you go through the gate. You see, but when it comes to baggage and the other, the other, uh, the other road, since the other gate is wide. And so in the other road, you can bring everything with you. You can bring your sin and your idols and your preferences and your self-righteousness and your money. You can bring whatever you want. All the carry-ons you want on the other road. That's a very big difference between these two gates. With one gate, you give up everything, but then you gain everything, Right? But then on the other gate, you get to take everything, but then you lose everything. So, so, so if you're sitting here this morning and, and you're considering Christianity, you need to realize that part of the reason why Jesus says there are many on the, the broad road and few on the other road is because in order for you to get into this road, you have to give up everything. And unfortunately, some people aren't willing to give up everything. Okay? So, so one of the, the major differences is baggage. And, you know, I'll give you an example of this from the Bible. In, in, in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells this, this parable of this man who finds a field, and in the field there is a treasure, a pearl of great worth. In the passage, you know what it says? It says that in order to get that field, he did what? He went and sold everything. See, the gospel is that pearl. But if you want that pearl, if you want to get through that gate, you got to sell everything. Everything. There's no baggage through this gate. Anything you try to bring with you is going to beep, 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 and you got to go back because there's no baggage through this gate. There's no carry-ons. You know, one of the examples that you see is not only that parable, but in Matthew chapter 19, so just a few chapters later uh, in, in this same book, there's the story of the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and the disciples are like on cloud nine because they're like, man, we're, we're, these, this guy's young, and he's wealthy, and he's influential. Man, if we get, if we get this guy in our ranks, we're going to be at an, on another level, right? But then Jesus starts to speak to him, and, and, and he says, good teacher, 
He calls him good teacher, and Jesus says, why do you call me good? And the reason why Jesus says that is because only God is good, and Jesus knew that he didn't think he was God. So why are you calling me good if you don't think I'm God and only God is good, right? So he's already questioning his heart. Then you see how self-deceived this guy was because Jesus starts going through the, the, the law and he's like, I've done that and I've done that and I've done that. And Jesus is like, really? All of it? From the, every, every day from the day? All of it. I've done all of it. But the problem wasn't just that he was self-deceived. He was actually self-sufficient because then Jesus says to him, all you have to do, because Jesus knew what his real, who his real God was and it wasn't him. He says, all you have to do is sell everything, sell your treasures and come follow me. And it says that the young man walked away sad because he had many possessions. See, Jesus says the only way you can get through this gate is if you give up everything. The rich young ruler wasn't ready to give it up. And so he stayed on the broad road with all his money and all his things and all his trinkets and all his idols and all his gods and straight to destruction he went. Okay. So one of the, one of the differences is, is the baggage. In one gate, there's no baggage. There's no carry-ons. And in the other gate, it's all the baggage and all the carry-ons that you want. But you know what another difference is, is the bystanders. And here's what I mean by bystanders. One of the things that people like to do when it comes to, to faith is they like to sit on the fence. They're like, I don't know if I'm on this side or on that side, so I'm going to just sit here and, 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 and just really not make a decision. Actually, I don't really care about religion at all, so I'm never going to make a decision about this. I'm not going to put all my eggs in any basket because I don't know what's true and I don't know what's not true. Well, here's the problem with this. Jesus says that because there are two gates, every person on earth is forced to make a decision. And so maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're exploring Christianity and you're saying, man, I don't know if I'm ready to take this step. I'm, I'm still figuring out if this church thing is for me. That's fine. If that's you, that's great. But what I need you to understand is that you are on a road already, okay? Jesus says, if you're not on the narrow road, you are on the broad road. So you are on a road already, whether you know it or not. Actually, what the Bible tells us is that we are born into the broad road. Every person in here is born into the broad road. It's just the road that we've been given. And if you at no point change the road you're on, that's the road you're on already. So in other words, the reason why I bring up bystanders is because according to Jesus, because he's forcing this decision, there are no bystanders. There's no one sitting on the fence. You're either on the narrow road because you've decided to, or you're on the broad road because you haven't made a decision. But every person is on a road. So you drift into the broad road, but you have to decide to go into the narrow road. Okay? There are no bystanders. And if, and if you think that you can be a bystander, then you don't actually understand what Jesus is saying here. You are on a road whether you want to admit it or not. So the first difference between these two gates is, is that with one gate, there's no baggage, right? And then with the other gate, you might, there's no baggage. In this one, you have all the baggage in the world. And, the other, and then the other difference is the bystanders, that with this one, you know you're not a bystander. With this one, you, the, the, the broad road, you think you might be a bystander. But Jesus is saying is there's no such thing as a bystander. Every, bystander. Every person is on a road. Every person is making progress towards something, whether you are religious or irreligious, whether you're conservative or liberal, every person is on a road. 
So that's the first truth I want you to see here. The second truth that I want to look at this morning is not just the two gates. I also want to look at the, the two roads, the two roads. Look what Jesus says next in this passage. He says to us, for he, t- he already talked about the gates, right? And then he says, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. So Jesus says that the second, there's, there's not, so not, we've looked, we, we started with the beginning of the journey, which is the gate. And I'm going to get back to the gate and, and, and later on at the end, because there's something really important about the gate that, that distinguishes Christianity from every other religion. We'll come back to that. So, so we've looked at the, the, the beginning of the journey, okay, which is the gate. Now we're going to look at the middle of the journey, which is the road, which is the road. Now there are two differences when it comes to these roads. So there's one road and there's another road. There's two major differences. The first difference is the size of the people on them, the size, the, the group size. So the group size is radically different according to Jesus. We'll look at that in a second. And then the second difference is not just the size, but it's their beliefs. And we're going to spend more time on the beliefs, but I want to begin with the first one, which is actually a pretty obvious one when you look at the passage. The passage honestly doesn't say much. It's a very short passage. But the one thing it says is that there's a major difference in size between the group on the narrow road and the group on the broad road, right? He describes the the people on the narrow road as few and the people on the broad road as many. Now, here's the thing about the word narrow. I'm going back to that word because, again, that could be a very negative word in our culture. But here's what Jesus means by narrow. There's a, there's a pastor who described it this way, and, and it was actually helpful for me because the whole time I was preparing this week, I kept struggling with that word narrow because narrow has so many negative connotations in our culture. And I'm like, I don't want people to think that this is a negative thing. But here, here's how he describes it. He says, we actually understand narrowness more than we think. Because in our culture, there are certain things that you have to be narrow about if you want to eventually experience broadness and spaciousness. And so he used the example of diet, for example. If you want to lose weight, you have to be narrow in what you eat. Does that make sense? I can't eat what I want to eat anymore. I have to make better decisions. I have to be concentrated. I have to be, I have to be focused. I have to narrow Uh, my eating habits. And then what's interesting is that in that narrowness, you end up experiencing freedom at the end. It's also true of education. So maybe some some of you here are starting to be a doctor. Listen, to be a doctor, it takes about 10 years of narrowness, right? You got to study and you got to go to class and you got to work nights and you got to do all these shifts. And so so it is to be a doctor, you have to experience narrowness. So so everyone is jealous of the spaciousness of a doctor, right, at the end of the journey. Oh, I wish I was a doctor. But no one's willing to do the narrowness part. That's how narrowness works. And so what he says that what narrow means is not so much that it's worse than than the other one, right, the wide road. What he means is that in order to be a disciple, it requires intense focus and commitment. That's what it means. It's intense focus and commitment. And I don't know about you, but what I've seen in my life is that the things in my life that are most valuable, the things in my life that are most worth doing are the hardest to do, right? Like if I want to have a good marriage, I have to be narrow in my marriage. I have to focus on my wife. I have to be pure in my thoughts. I have to make sure we're going on dates. I have to, right? But, 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 but that narrowness then results in the spaciousness 
in the broadness, if you will, of a good marriage later on. But there needs to be narrowness. And that's what he means. It's not that one's best, better or worse. It's just that there requires narrowness in order for you to experience everything Jesus wants you to experience. Listen, if that's true of marriage, if that's true of diets, if that's true of, of your education, then how much more true is it of your faith? If your faith is the most important thing, that it should be the thing most worth doing. And what Jesus is saying to you is he's promising you that it's not easy. Christianity is not easy. We know it's not easy because later on he says we need to take up our own cross. It's not easy, but it's worth it. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Uh, one, one person put it this way. Christianity is simple. You know, you just got to walk through the gate, let everything else go. It's simple, but it's not easy. We, we must never confuse something, something that's simple with something that's easy. It's hard to give up everything you have. It's hard to take that step. Look at this quote from Charles Spurgeon as he, as he discusses this concept of giving all that you have up. He says, you, and, and Charles Spurgeon is this old uh, British pastor who died a, a, a couple hundred years ago. Here's what he says. He says, you and your sins must separate, he said, you and your sins must separate or you and God will never come together. No one sin may keep you. They must all be given up. They must be brought out like Canaanite kings from the cave and be hung up in the sun. See, that's, that's, why, that's why this other road is so hard. And this road is very, very difficult. Because in order for you to go through this road, you got to give up everything. And that's why a lot of people don't give up everything. So you go back to the two points that I have. So, so the first difference is there's a difference in size. And you know why the one group is bigger than the other group? It's back to what I said earlier. We are naturally born into the broad road. So the thing about the broad road is that it comes natural to us, right? The, the, the emotions and the things that come with the broad road, uh, 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 self-centeredness and, and uh, 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 even religion, we'll talk about that later, religion, pride, idolatry, all those things come natural to us. That is our natural habitat. Listen, in order for you to be on the broad road, all you have to do is be born. But in order for you to be on the narrow road, all you have to do is be born again. See? That's why it's so narrow. Because you have to be born again. Actually, that's what uh, uh, Nicodemus, right, a.k.a. Nick at night, right? Nick at night shows up to Jesus uh, at night. And what is Nicodemus trying to do? Nicodemus is actually on the broad road. He thinks he's on the narrow road, but he's actually on the broad road because he's trying to save himself. We'll talk about that more in a little bit, but he's, he's on the broad road and he comes to Jesus and he says, listen, what can I add to my list of rules? What can I add to my list of behaviors in order to get onto the broad road? Jesus says, you got to let all that go, actually. You got to be born again. And, and, and Nicodemus being a religious type, a legalistic type, he's like, wait, wait, what? What do you mean? There's nothing I can do? I can't earn this? I can't, I can't. Just, just be given that? No, no, you got to be born again. And that's as Nicodemus just walks away. Actually, we, we, we don't actually know what happens to Nicodemus. He just stops talking after Jesus tells him what's required. So I pray that Nicodemus took it, but I don't know if he did. But the problem is he was on the broad road with his baggage and with his self-righteousness and on one, on one hand, his sin on the other, you know, his, his, uh, his, his Pharisee-like behavior on his, on his shoulders. And he's on the broad road. He's like, man, I would love to figure out what do I got to put on this pack in order to get on that road? Jesus says, you got to be born again. So the reason why the one road is so much broader, so much bigger in size as far as people 
It's so much bigger because it comes natural to us. All those things come natural to us. All you need to do is be born. But to be on the other one, you need to be born again. Now, what I want to do is spend more time on the second thing. Because this, this one is, this one I, want, I really want you to turn your brain on for this one. Because we're going to do some, some critical thinking here under the, the second one. So the first difference between the two roads is the, is the size, right? There's more people on one than, than on the other. But another difference is there's a difference in beliefs. There's a major difference in beliefs. And here's what I mean by beliefs. The culture that we live in, so let's, let's look at the broad road for a second, right? The culture that we live in, I'm talking about our culture. This might be different in Africa or in Spain or wherever, but, but at least in the United States, in, our West, in, in, in the Western culture that we live in, there are certain beliefs that the culture promotes that on the surface seem, they, they seem like they make a lot of sense. But, but when you start actually critically evaluating them, you realize those statements don't actually make that much sense. And the reason why I want to evaluate these statements is because maybe you're here this morning and, and you might be on the broad road and you might actually believe some of the statements that I'm about to read and contradict. And the reason why I'm doing it, it might, not make, it, may not, it might not make Christianity more attractive to you, but my goal with this section is not necessarily to make Christianity more attractive, it's just to show the weakness of, of the point you're, you're standing on, of the ground you're standing on. I heard, I heard one pastor put it this way. I just, I just thought about this, but I heard one pastor put it this way. He said that sometimes the best way to get people from point A to point B is until, instead of telling them how great point B is, just tell them how bad point A is. So this is what I want to do at this point. I want to tell you how bad point A is, and then maybe you'll consider point B, okay? So, so here are some of the, the, the so the, the, if you look at the top part, the, 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 the phrase for this is religious relativism. That's, 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 that's actually a worldview. That's actually a, a religious position. And you hold a religious position whether you want to admit it or not. So here are some of the things that people who are religious relativists say. The first one is this. This is the Oprah. Oprah is known for this one. I believe that all roads lead to God. That's a very, very common uh, statement, right? You, you've heard this, right? I believe that all roads lead to God. Here's the problem with this belief. That if you know anything about roads and about maps, that's not how roads or maps work, right? So, so in other words, if you tell me you want to go to Canada and I give you the road to Mexico, you're not going to end up in Canada because that's how roads work. See? So I, I, some of you heard me, heard me say this illustration. If, let's say that we were out in the city of Chicago and we were all looking for a person. And let's say that person was God, right? We're all looking for God. But you get a description of this God and, and your description is he is a 5'8 Asian man. And then I get a description of God and he is a 6'7 black man. We're not going to end up at the same person. Because what you're looking for is very different from what I'm looking for. You see? So, so the all roads lead to God thing just doesn't make any sense. Because that, that's not true of maps. That's not true of when you're looking for somebody. So that, that sounds great on Twitter. But when you actually think about it, the logic falls apart. Jesus says that there's not many roads, there's two roads. And one leads to God and the other one doesn't. Okay? 
Another one is this. This is a huge statement that people who are religious relativists say. There is no such thing as absolute truth. There's no such thing as absolute truth. And here's what I mean by an absolute truth. An absolute truth is something that is true absolutely all the time, right? That's an absolute truth. Here's the problem with that statement. That the moment you make that statement, that there's no such thing as an absolute truth, you're actually stating an absolute truth. Does that make sense? An absolute truth is something that's true all the time. When you say there's no such thing as an absolute truth, that's an absolute truth statement. So, 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 so your, your, your reasoning falls apart the moment you say it. See? Another one is this. You shouldn't force your beliefs on others. You've heard this one, right? I know I've heard this one. You shouldn't force your beliefs on other people. See, here's the problem with that statement. Another way to put it is, you should not evangelize. You should not proselytize. The problem with that statement is that you're actually, when you say the statement, you are evangelizing against evangelism. You are proselytizing against proselytizing. Because when you say you should enforce your beliefs on others, when you say, hey, you should enforce your worldview on me, what you're doing is you're forcing your worldview on the person you're saying it to. Does that make sense? So, so it, it falls apart the moment you do it. There's no such thing as not evangelizing. Everyone's evangelizing something. Everyone is proselytizing something. And so when you tell someone you can't force your beliefs on me, and you can actually connect the, the, that second point with the, with the third one, the second statement that there's no such thing as absolute truth, when you're saying is ev- everything is true, but, but your truth is less than my truth, then you've contradicted both of those statements. Because my truth is superior and your truth is inferior. I am a superior, uh, evolved, modern person. And if you're going to be superior and evolved, you have to stop forcing your views on people. Even though that's the exact same thing I'm doing right now. See, guys, my my goal here is not to to make anyone feel uh, uh, dumb or to criticize. My goal here is to expose things that our culture teaches that when you actually think about it, don't make any sense. They just don't. All it takes is a little bit of critical thinking, and you're like, oh, wait, no, that doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't. And the last one, and this is a huge one, claiming that you have the truth is bigotry. So you know what I did this week? This week I looked up what the word bigotry means. The word bigotry means to show or display intolerance towards someone who disagrees with you. But, but what, the, what our culture has done is they've taken the word bigotry and they've given it a broader definition than what it actually means. So bigotry is actually an attitude that I show towards people who disagree with me. But if we really believe that Jesus is who we say he is, that's not bigotry. So let me, here's why, here's why here, let me explain it to you this way. In any other context, if I were to state something that I believe is truth, you wouldn't call me a bigot. So if we're in math class and I say two plus two is four, you don't look at me and say, oh, you're such a bigot. <laughs> two plus two is five. No, you wouldn't say that because two plus two is actually four, right? That's, that's how it works. It's, I'm not trying to be bigoted. It's just that's what it actually is. It's in light of what I believe, that's the truth. So, so now me being a bigot would be me looking down on you because I know the answer and you don't, right? But me stating a fact doesn't make me a bigot. It's just me stating a fact. 
And so our culture has taken this definition and has made it so much bigger than what it actually is, right? This happens all the time with politics, whether, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, right? Depending on who the, the, the president and party is, and the party is, people say, oh, that's not my president. I don't, that's not my president. Well, here's the problem. It doesn't matter if you, that's the president. So some of you might be saying that now. Some of you might have been saying it under the last president. But listen, it doesn't matter where you are. That's the actual president. And saying that's the president isn't bigoted. Isn't bigoted. That's just a fact. That's the guy that's got voted in. But, but for some reason, all that makes sense when it comes to math and the politics, right? But, but for some reason, when we bring it into religion, oh, if you say you have the truth, then you're being a bigot. But you know what's interesting? It's not just Christians who claim to have the truth. If you meet a Jew who's actually a Jew, like practicing Judaism, they believe that there's only one way. If you meet a Muslim who's actually living out Islam, they believe there's only one way. And so here's the thing, that, that everyone, when you, really, when you logically think about it, people who are actually living out the other world religions know that there isn't many ways. They know. The only people that think there are many ways are the people who are religious relativists. The people who are religious and don't even know they're religious. The people who are evangelizing and don't even know that they're evangelizing. The people who are actually being bigots and don't even know, and yet they're criticizing bigotry. So what I, what, what I want to do here with that, the reason why I just unpack this for you is because these are all different statements that our culture makes. And so if you believe any of these things, if you're sitting here this morning and you came in thinking one or three or four or all of them, then I want you to know that it's, it's, it, there's a good chance you're on this road because someone who's on the narrow road wouldn't say these things. And hopefully, maybe this morning would be the opportunity for you to go from one road to, to the other road. And the one last thing I want to say before I move on to my final point is this. Some of you here have actually experienced real bigotry. Some of you here have actually experienced Christians judging you, feeling superior to you, condemning you. And if you have experienced that, and that's why you haven't been coming to church, that's why you walked away, I want to apologize to you. Because what they did, bigotry, is sin. And if you were here a few weeks ago and we looked at judgment, that is totally unbiblical and totally unacceptable in Jesus' eyes. And so if the reason why you left is because of genuine bigotry, then I apologize on that person's behalf. Because what they did was unchristlike. So, those are the two roads. They're different in size and they're different in beliefs. Now, I want to conclude this morning by looking at the two ends or the two destinations. Jesus says that there are two destinations or two ends, if you will, that we end up at depending on the road that we're on. He says that uh, in verse thir- the end of verse 13 that for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to what? Destruction. That's one end. Then he says, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. So we, we began at the, the, the beginning of the journey, which is the gate, how you get in. Then we, we looked at the middle of the journey, which is the road. And now I want to conclude by looking at the end. Jesus says that because there's only two roads, there's only two destinations. It's either destruction or it's life. You could put my uh, last section. So according to Jesus in this, pin- in this final part, there are two types of people 
and there are two types of payment. Two types of people and two types of payment. The first thing Jesus says is that the only people that get into the narrow road, it's, it's only a certain type of person that can get into the narrow road. There's only a certain type of person. Now, here is what you might be thinking. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're, you're, you're exploring Christianity, right? You don't know if this whole Jesus thing is for you or not. And, and, and you're, you're, you're like, ah, I'm investigating. I'm still deciding if I want to take this stuff. Listen, if that's you, we are so glad you're here. We, we started Tri-Village for people just like you. But here's what you probably are thinking. And I'm, I don't know you, but I'm, I'm just trying to anticipate what you might be thinking. You just heard me say that there is a certain type of person that is on the narrow road and a certain type of person that's on the broad road. What you might be thinking is, oh, okay, now here's where he's going to start get, getting real legalistic. Here's when he's going to start giving me restrictions and rules and requirements. Oh, oh, I know what he's about to say. I get it. I get it. So this seemed different to me, but now I realize this is just like every other church and every other religion I've ever been exposed to. Now he's going to give me a whole bunch of rules that I got to follow because the only people that are on this road, the narrow road, are good people. And since I'm not on the narrow road, what you're saying is I'm a bad person. Good people go down the narrow road because narrow requires discipline and, and structure and habits and, 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 and church attendance. Oh, I get it. Now you're about to give me all the rules and all the requirements. I thought you were a different church, but now I realize just like, you're just like every other church and every other religion I've been exposed to. On the narrow road are the good people. On the broad road are the bad people. Here's the problem with that. There's no good people. There's only bad people. In Psalm 14, it says that, that no one is good, not even one. You know why there's bad people that think they're good people? Because those bad people compare themselves to worse people, and so they think they're not that bad. <laughs> so no, when I mean that there's a certain type of person that goes down the narrow road, I don't mean that those are the good people, because there's no such thing as good people. Listen, if only good people can go down the narrow road, then that narrow road would be, it says as few, it would be none, because there's no good people going down that path. So the distinction is not good or bad because there's only bad. That's not the distinction. So, so if the distinction is not good or bad, then what's the distinction? What makes me a person that's on the narrow road instead of someone who's on the broad road? Here's what the distinction is. Someone who's on the broad road, so you can have a very good person who's on the broad road, and, and, and there's, there's, remember, let's go back to the, to the narrow gate. This is why I said I was going to bring the gate back again. Remember what I said? The thing about this narrow gate, it's like a turnstile, right? It's like an a, a airport, a, airport security gate. In order for you to get through, you got to leave everything behind. You got to leave your sin. You got to leave your worldliness. You got to leave your idolatry. You got to leave everything, 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 right? But you know one thing you got to leave behind? Many people in the world, I would say the majority of the world, are willing to give up the bad stuff. But you know what the one thing that most people aren't willing to give up? Their self-righteousness. You know what self-righteousness is, right? Self-righteousness is when you try to save yourself. It's the good things that I do in order to be approved by God or whoever I'm trying to perform for. See, most people, the majority of people will, will give up the bad stuff when they go through the gate. But only a few will give up the good stuff that they did for the wrong reasons. See, that's why Christianity is different. In every religion, there's people who do good stuff, right? The difference between Christianity and every other religion is that as Christians, not only do we confess the bad stuff like everyone else does, we actually confess the good stuff that we did for the wrong reasons. 
We confess our, right, our, our, our self-righteousness as well. You know, I, I don't know if you guys remember, for those of you who, who've been here through this series, but in the first message of this series, we were looking at the Beatitudes. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit God's kingdom. Essentially is what he says there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, listen, in order for you to enter this gate, you have to be poor in spirit. You know what that means? Most religions will admit that they have spiritual debt, right? You go to a Muslim, you go to a Jew. Heck, you go to, to even a, an agnostic. They'll admit, I have some spiritual debt that I have to deal with. But to be a Christian, you don't, you don't have to admit that you have spiritual debt. You have to admit that you're spiritually bankrupt. That's a whole nother level. See, because if I have debt, like if you're a financial planner and I go to you and I have debt, what you're going to do is going to give me a plan on what to do about it, right? You got to cut here and you got to budget here and you got to... But there's a major difference between being in debt and being bankrupt. Every religion will tell you you have debt. Only Christianity will tell you that you're bankrupt. And in order for you to get through the gate, not only do you have to give away your sin, give up your sin, you have to give up your self-righteousness. You have to give up your self-salvation project. You can't be your own savior anymore. Problem is, a lot of people aren't willing to give that up. So you know what this means. Follow along with me here. If that's true, if the difference between the people on the broad road and the people on the narrow road is not that one's good and the other's bad, but that one can, be, can admit they're spiritually bankrupt and the other one can't, you know what this means? That on the broad road, it's not just rapists and murderers and drug dealers, but on the broad road, there's religious people. Some of you are in, on the broad road right now and you come to church every week. And you give money every week. See, because, because here's the thing. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian just like sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car. So, so here's what this means, guys. It's not good and bad. There are people on the broad road. And here's what's so funny about the broad road. That, that, that you think of politics again. Uh, liberals are convinced that they're on the narrow road and the conservatives are the ones that are on the broad road. And conservatives are convinced that they're on the narrow road and it's still those liberals out there, they're the ones that are on the broad road. Right? Churchgoers are convinced that they're on the narrow road and those people that don't go to church, they're the ones on the broad road. I don't know who you are putting on the broad road. I mean, in the, and, and you're putting, I don't know who you're putting in the broad road, but I need you to know all of us are on the broad road. Every single one of us is on the broad road. And the only way you can get into the narrow road is when you admit that you cannot do anything to save yourself, is when you admit that your problem is not debt, it's bankruptcy. Then and only then can you walk in and accept a payment on your place, which then leads me to the second point. There's only one type of person there's only a certain type of person that gets through. And that certain type of person will embrace and receive a certain type of payment. Okay? Here's what I mean by that, guys. It says that the people who are on the broad road, they end up in destruction. Why do the people on the broad road end up in destruction? Listen, they end up in destruction is because they've been trying to save themselves. They've been trying to pay their own debt. And you know what God does at the end? At, at the end, God lets them do what they've been trying to do their whole life. That's all God does. 
So destruction seems so negative and terrible, but really what God's doing is, okay, you've been trying to save yourself your whole life. You've been trying to be your own functional savior. Now go ahead and save yourself then. And then when you get in front of me and my standard is here and you're here, that's why destruction happens, because you can't meet this standard. Right? But but here's the question, though. Why does the... So if we said that all people are bad, then that means that the people on the narrow road deserve judgment and destruction just as much as the people on the broad road, because they're not any better. better. Well, here's the difference between this group and this group. The reason why the, the narrow road receives life and not destruction is because since they have admitted that they're spiritually bankrupt, they have gone to the only person that can get them out of bankruptcy, and that person took destruction so that we might get life. You know, one of the, the, the things that I was just blown away by this, this, this week, Jesus talks about a gate, he talks about a way, and he talks about a life. But what's beautiful is he's not just this, Jesus isn't just this like this uh, uh, tour guide that's taking you, oh, here's a gate, and, and there's the way, and, and there's the life. But what's beautiful about Jesus is that later on in what we see in Scripture, and all throughout the book of John, is that Jesus doesn't just tell us that there is a gate, he tells us in John chapter 10 that he is the gate. He doesn't just tell us that there is a way. In John chapter 14, he tells us that he is the way. He doesn't just point us to eternal life. In John chapter 14, he tells us that he is the life. Jesus is what we're looking for. He is the gate. He is the way. He is the life. He is those things. Think about what Jesus did, okay? Think about what Jesus did. Follow with me here. The passage is telling us to walk down a narrow path. Right? And that if you walk down this narrow path, you, it'll end up in life. But what's crazy about Jesus is that there's a reversal. There's a, there's, a, there's a reversal. Jesus walked down the narrowest path that a human being can ever walk down. So narrow that he's the only one that walked it. Right? So, so, so think about what he did. Jesus, he left the spaciousness of heaven. He came down into the narrowness of earth. The God of the universe... The spaciousness God of the, the spacious God of the universe became a single cell organism that grew into a baby. Okay? Then he's in a manger, so there's still narrowness because not a lot of people are born in, in a manger. Then by the time he gets to the end of his life, it has become so narrow that the only person praying in the garden is him. Because his disciples, the people who were supposed to be there, have fallen asleep. Then when he finally gets arrested, they all flee. And on the cross, he's the only one there dying. So so think about it. The person who walked the narrowest path should have deserved the greatest life and blessing. And yet, even though he walked the narrowest path, at the end of his life, he experienced the greatest destruction. Why? For you and for me. He took the destruction that we deserved so that we might get the life that he deserved. Jesus walked the walk that we couldn't, and he, that, we, that we couldn't, right? And then he, at the end of his life, he, he, he was treated and he died the way we should have been treated. Guys, that's, that's crazy. See, when you understand that, all of a sudden, it starts to change how you view things. Here's how one pastor put it. And, and honestly, when I heard it, I, I literally had to back away from my laptop and just Praise the Lord for it. He says, here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. Here's what's so beautiful about the gospel. That the, it, when it comes to Christianity, here's what's crazy. The gates are reversed. And here's what it means. 
when, when you're in any other religion, the road comes first. Right? You got to walk down this really, really long road, whether it's Judaism or, or, or Islam or, or, or agnosticism, whatever it is. You walk down this really, 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 really long road with doubt and with fears, not knowing if you're going to be accepted or not. And then you arrive at the gate at the end. And you get to the gate and you're like, did I do enough? Can I get in? I don't know. Right? But here's what's beautiful about Christianity. This is what this, this pastor said. His Christianity actually puts the gate at the beginning. So Jesus lets you in the gate. And he says, listen, listen, you're already loved. You're already accepted. You're already approved. You're already forgiven. You're already adopted. Now go walk the way. So listen, even though the way is narrow, there's not a lot of people on it. Man, once you understand that, the fear is gone. The doubt is gone. The worry is gone. I don't have to worry about what God's going to say to me when I get to the gate. I already passed the gate. I already passed the gate. Jesus, God's going to look at me and said, come on in because I love you, accept you, and embrace you, not because of what you've done, but because of what my son did for you at the cross. Complete reversal. Man, you, you understand that and it changes you. Listen, I don't, know, I don't know what path or road you're on, but if you're on the broad road, you can get rid of those doubts. You can get rid of those worries. You can get rid of those nagging things in your mind like, am I really acceptable? Am I really approved of? Am I, you're on, you, you just go from stage to stage performing for people. And that's why you're always looking for people who are less than you because you're trying to justify yourself. So if you're conservative, the bad guys are the liberals. And if you're, if you're a churchgoer, the bad guys are the not churchgoers. And if you're a, a, a believer, then the bad guys are the people who don't believe. And, and, and you're constantly trying to navigate and compare because you're, you're trying to find this self-righteousness and self-justification that just doesn't exist. Jesus is saying, listen, you don't have to wait until the end to get to the gate. You can go through that gate right now. But you got to give up your sin. And even harder than that, you got to give up your self-righteousness. And so I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what journey you're on. I don't know how far along you are on that journey. But I need you to know. Jesus Christ doesn't just present a gate for us. Jesus is the gate. Jesus doesn't just tell us about a way. Jesus is the way. Jesus doesn't just point us to the life. Jesus is the life. And I pray that this morning might be the morning that you choose the narrow gate. It's only the narrow gate that leads to life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.